Hey everyone, welcome to Unrefined Women. I am your co-host Agnes. And I'm the other co-host Margaret. This podcast is an ongoing dialogue between two sisters on the topics of spirituality, religious trauma, mental health, family dynamics, and feminism. We're very grateful you could join us today. Every time we do intros, I always make Margaret do the little spiel because I can never remember what it is, but she can. <laughs> well, we've done it so many times. What is this, episode 37 now? Like, I, I would yeah. hope that we have this shit down somewhat. Yeah, and I'm just at the beginning. I just had to say my name. That's it. <laughs> <sighs> so today is part one of Roe v. Wade and Agnes and I have been wanting to do this podcast episode for quite some time but I don't know it's just it's a heavy heavy conversation and we've been procrastinating on it but it's it's time we have the conversation absolutely and obviously like this has been a topic that we both Margaret and I have been surrounded by our entire lives um, from growing up in, you know, a religious Catholic household where we were like essentially forced to participate in um, like aggressively pro-life uh, movements and uh, protests and all of that and being involved in that um, to where we're at now where you know, this whole issue with the Supreme Court overruling Roe v. Wade is honestly kind of traumatizing for both of us and both of us fearing um, losing that right of having, being able to make that choice, you know, whether it's us making that choice or any other woman in America to make the choice to terminate their pregnancy. Absolutely. So this conversation is kind of a mix of Agnes and I sharing just a little bit of our background, some of our thoughts and emotions around the whole recent uh, release of um, the Supreme Court going to overturn Roe v. Wade. But we also get a little bit into some of the history of Roe v. Wade. And both of us did a little bit of research and Agnes shares um, a little bit of like what just happened in the news. So if for some reason uh, you missed that, which, you know, I'm sure you didn't, it was pretty mainstream about the leaked documents from the Supreme Court. But Agnes kind of recaps that a little bit. And I dig into a little bit of the history of what made abortion political, because abortion was not actually a political issue until after Roe v. Wade was already passed by the Supreme Court. So we get a little bit into that history. We hope you all enjoy this part one of Roe v. Wade and just really quickly, of course, if this conversation is going to be triggering for you, you know, feel free to go ahead and skip this episode. If this is just not one you're able to sit with right now, that is totally okay. How do you feel about us finally talking about Roe v. Wade? This feels like a long time coming. I feel like everyone's already kind of talked about it and we're just like late bloomers. It's been like a month. I know because every time you and I like talk about talking about Roe v. Wade, we get like in our heads and we think that we're not qualified to talk about it, which I personally think is bullshit because we are women and we have uteruses. So I think that automatically makes us qualified to talk about it. I agree. Not to mention like it's so easy to 
Google things. <laughs> I, yeah. Like it's crazy. Cause like, I didn't really have my own phone until I was like 14 years old. And until then I didn't really have access to being able to like Google things. And now I take full advantage of that. Like the last 30 minutes, I literally have a page and a half of just like interesting shit that I just like Googled and found on different websites. And like, it's so easy. And now I had, I feel like I've learned so much about Roe v. Wade just from like 30 minutes of Googling stuff and looking at different sources. Yeah. And now we're going to share all of this with all of our listeners. So I think kind of what I would like to do today is, you know, you share some of the stuff you found and we'll talk about it. And I'm going to share some stuff that I found and we're going to talk about it. But I also really want just you and I to kind of talk about this because, you know, we grew up super Catholic, obviously super pro-life. And like, I just was, for me, it was like, I was just pro-life and I didn't know why, like, that's just what you did. Like you're just pro-life if you're Catholic. Um, and there's no like critical thinking about it at all. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I feel like I want to also talk about our experiences growing up pro-life and kind of like what helped us to move away from that and kind of come to where we are right now, because I don't know, Agnes, like, what would you identify as right now? Are you, do you consider yourself more on the pro-life side of the spectrum or more the pro-choice side of the spectrum? Most definitely pro-choice. I'm very sympathetic. Like, I'm, I try to understand, like, all sides. So I do not think that if you're pro-life, then you're just this horrible person and all. Like, I can understand their points of views, but me personally, I am, like, almost 100% pro-choice. Okay. What I would say you? I think I'm kind of... I think I'm in the same boat, you know? Like, I, like I definitely identify as pro-choice. I've had times in mm-hmm. my life... I think most of my adult life, I've, I've been pro-choice. And my personal thought process on it has been in the past like if I was pregnant I couldn't like terminate my own pregnancy like I think I would feel like have a lot of guilt about it but I certainly don't judge anyone else that does it and I think that women should have full autonomy over their bodies and be able to make that decision on their own um Mm -hmm. but I also at the same time like I'm in a situation where I have an IUD so like there's like always that that's always in the back of my head there's always like that you know that point what is it point zero one percent chance it's very small but still there's that like there's that small chance that I could get pregnant and if you have an IUD and you get pregnant it's like really high likely that it's an ectopic pregnancy which is like life-threatening to me and I would have to have it taken care of otherwise I would die so that I think has made this whole thing with Roe v. Wade coming kind of resurfacing and hearing that it's going to be overturned. I think it really has scared me because of that. Like, Hey, like this could literally be a life or death situation for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, if you've been living under a rock, (laughs) um, (laughs) early, earlier in the month of May, I'm honestly, I probably should have double checked. I think it was May 2nd that this article It was like the first week of May when this article from politico.com got like released and um, they found like a like there was like rumors and then they like confirmed this uh, politico.com. They wrote out this whole article and they leaked a 98 page draft written by Justice Samuel 
Alito. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Um, but it was basically the Supreme Court of the United States voting to strike down Roe v. Wade, which was um, a case that happened in 1973. So obviously, when this happened, everyone lost their shit because since, I mean, we've had Roe v. Wade and then we had, I believe it was called uh, Plant Parenthood versus Casey. I'm not sure. Um, but there were like other stuff as well, um, cases that discussed um, the rights of abortion in America. And since then, for the most part, depending on which state you lived in, women were able to uh, legally get an abortion. And Roe v. Wade specifically um, is just a landmark Supreme Court ruling that determines a woman has a constitutional right to choose to have an abortion without undue governmental interference. So basically, <laughs> this draft that was released is stating that Roe v. Wade, that they, they've determined that Roe v. Wade is no longer constitutional. And I have a problem with that. <laughs> well, elaborate so, on that, please. <laughs> well, okay. They have their reasons on why it's unconstitutional. And if you want to read, the, I did not read the whole thing because it's 98 pages long. You can find it on politico.com. It's like a whole PDF. Um, but they, they decide it, you know, the origins of the United States of America does not support this. And I've, see, I've heard this several, when this issue was arising in early May and everyone was talking about it and it was very emotional for everybody, including me, I, I, this whole thing like was so emotionally draining for me for so many reasons. Um, I remember seeing um, a lot of comments about, and bringing up Thomas Jefferson, you know, he's one of our founding fathers of, of the United States of America and a previous president of the United States of America. And back in, in the beginning of America, shortly after the Revolutionary War, Thomas Jefferson actually wrote a letter to James Madison, and he said, basically every 19 years, we need to get rid of the Constitution and, like, <gasps> rewrite it. What? Holy you shit. You didn't I know had, this? No, I did not know this. <sighs> I thought you knew. Oh, this makes no. it so much more juicy. Oh my God. Okay, so he said, in quotes, every constitution then and every law naturally expires at the end of 19 years. If it be in force longer, it is an act of force and it is not right. <gasps> O-M-G. <laughs> this is coming from one of the founding fathers of the United States of America that everyone just has a boner over. Like everyone loves all these Republican people love the founding fathers. One of our, the f first few presidents of the United States. And he also owned, I don't know if you knew this, Thomas oh. Jefferson in his lifetime owned over 600 slaves. Oh, yeah. No, I do not like him at all. That, like, yeah. I mean, okay, all of our founding fathers, like, I think I think all of them were, they owned slaves. They enslaved mm -hmm. all of these humans, and they were just totally fine with it. So, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. You automatically do not have my respect because yeah. of that. <laughs> Times were different then, and I'm absolutely not justifying it, but it was more normal for wealthy white men and 
not even if you're a wealthy probably to own slaves even if it was one two to six hundred um and owning several plantations but anyways we have thomas jefferson over here saying that we need to get rid of the constitution after around 20 years here we are with his old ass constitution <laughs> like okay what doesn't make sense to me is that right now the supreme court things that they can make decisions on women's bodies based on a piece of paper that was written when women and people of color and people that had disabilities and anyone who was not a w- rich white male was property and right. had no rights. Mm-hmm. Like, come on, guys. We could do better than this. <laughs> you would think. Yeah. Damn, I had no idea about that. My mind's a little bit blown Mm -hmm. right now. Yeah. So, and I found that information about Thomas Jefferson on libertyfund.org. We love .orgs. Yep. (laughs) We're going to link all this shit anyway in the show notes so you guys can check all this stuff out. Yeah. So, what else did you find, Agnes? Any other juicy details to share? Um, well, as of right now, that's kind of what I found on like the basics of just like where my mind is going with this. But I feel like like anyone can go on all day about the politics of Roe v. Wade and this issue with the Supreme Court overruling Roe v. Wade. But I think that this issue is a lot more emotional. Mm-hmm. And when... Like, when I found out about this, of course, I was in shock, but I didn't think it, it didn't really hit me until, like, a week or so after this was happening, and just, like, talk, seeing it on social media, and on social media, I do have some, like, family members or friends that are still part of the Catholic Church, or they're Christian, and everyone everyone's instagram stories are always just like very opinionated as they should like everyone has the right to share their opinions on their own social media depending on if it's like harmful or not right (laughs) um but you know it was kind of weird like seeing people that were sharing like such pro-life like opinions Mm-hmm. And for me, like I hit a point where I just had so much like for me, I've experienced and seen like sexual abuse and just like being sexualized at very young ages and just all of this shit that like makes me feel like all of it has hit me personally. And I have this weird obsession with putting myself in other people's shoes to the point where it's like kind of unhealthy sometimes (laughs) but I'm kind of thinking of like scenarios of women who who have to have an abortion Mm -hmm. and I can't think of that in with my own life because and that's where you get all these Christians and religious people and they think well I would never have an abortion well yeah you probably wouldn't I don't see a reason why in I mean, there's a lot of controversy around whether you need to have a reason to have an abortion or not. But if you're a lot of these people that I know are 
financially okay and they're not in these dangerous situations Mm -hmm. where if they did get pregnant out of like like they were it was unplanned then abortion wouldn't be their first choice so yeah I can understand why you would be like feel like it's a wrong decision for yourself but then running through my head I'm thinking about all of the women the homeless women Mm -hmm. the women who have very little they've had very little sexual education in their life they don't have um, any like financial means to attain birth control Um, they're surrounded by people that are sexually abusing them and to get like a little bit even darker I in the midst of like having a full-blown panic attack because I'm thinking about like I'm just horrified by that these women are no longer going to have the option to terminate the pregnancy women that are married to their rapist or women that where where their rapist is their father their biological father or their biological brother or their cousin or their uncle or someone that they are near like and nobody knows and they get pregnant and a lot of rapists that would that rape like even if they're an adult and usually a lot of times they rape like they're younger someone that's younger like underage at that point that would make them a pedophile and I'm thinking about the children like as a mother can you imagine being raped by someone that you know is a pedophile and even sexually abused you when you were really young and to know that that same thing is going to happen if you give birth to that child Mm. and to me it's like these women are by me by making like by making that decision to give birth to that child they're also making the decision that they know that their child's probably more than likely going to be sexually abused or raped yeah so it's like at that point to be able to have the option to terminate the pregnancy could be an act of self-love you know for yourself and for the fetus because you don't want to bring the fetus into this environment where you know, they're going to be sexually assaulted by the people in the home. Absolutely. And I know there's a lot of people that argue that because I did bring it up on, on social media at one point and I, my sister responded and, um, she was saying that you, you can't deny someone the right of life. And yes, that person might, might, that, that baby might grow up and, experience a very traumatic lifestyle but they're going to grow up and they're going to be better for it but is that really true because yes (laughs) you look like you have something to say (laughs) i'm just i'm just i'm just yeah i'm over here sighing (laughs) because like when you asked is that true i mean statistics show that it's very 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 unlikely that that child's gonna be okay you know like even Mm -hmm. if you're okay like you're not really okay like you got a lot of fucking trauma um and just like being in social work school like you just you see how easily the trajectory of this child's life will go to 
um, them having a lot of mental illnesses and because of trauma, um, they ending are them ending up without support systems where they end up getting into crime. They end up harming other people. Like it's not the likelihood that you're going to turn out to be a healthy functioning adult is pretty slim. If you're being born yeah. into an impoverished situation uh, where you know there was an accidental pregnancy there's it's mm-hmm. not a safe environment there's not financial means there's no social safety net for that child it's just it's a very very grim reality absolutely and one more thought that i had before i let you share what you learned i also put myself in the perspective of being the 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 ba- like what if i was the baby that was aborted and our mother experienced way more than anyone should have ever experienced when it comes to domestic violence and abuse. Mm -hmm. If, and my mom, she's a superhero and we talk about her all the time and we love her. And I'm glad that she had our family. There's nine, nine kids and she raised all of us beautifully. I love all of my siblings. We all turned out as amazing human beings but at the same time, I'm, because we're alive, and I don't mean to sound morbid, it's just kind of a fact of life, but because we're alive, that just meant it was more abuse that my mom had to endure. Mm-hmm. And if my mom, at whatever point, you know, back before I was born, or she, if she had all of my older siblings and she got pregnant with me, and she knew that, you know, her kids are already experiencing all of this horrific shit happening at home. I don't want to give birth to another child. And she chose to abort me. My mom is still very religious. So I don't think that she ever would based on her beliefs. But if she did make that decision, me now, I'm okay with that. Like I have come to a point where I realize that yes, life is a gift and I love my life and I'm I do everything I can to make my life great and to be, you know, of service to the people around me um, and lead a happy life. But at the same time, I think I've come to a point of selflessness where I understand that my life does not entirely make other people's lives easier and better. And if my parent, if my mother decided that my you know, I needed to be terminated. My life needed to be terminated in order for them to break away from being abused or to feed their other children or to house their other children. I'm okay with that. I don't feel like I have this like selfish right to take that, that take Mm -hmm. that right from my mother as a woman. Yeah. I think too, like what you're, you're kind of getting a little bit as well into where we sort of like, there's this branch, right? When it comes to the the topic of abortion, there's this, there's the group of people that are atheists, right? That are like, well, mm-hmm. you know, you terminate it. The fetus isn't a child. You terminate the fetus. Like that, that, that's just it. Like there's just no life comes of it. Like, you know, it's sort of like, you're not really harming or, or hurting this this person because it's not even a person like that person just never existed right but then there's like the spiritual side of it which I think is so interesting because I have friends as you like just as you shared as well like there is a large portion of my social media which has 
pro-life friends and family. So I do see a lot of that content. I do have conversations with family and friends who are pro-life about this very topic. And I think it's good for me to a degree because it helps kind of keep me in check a little bit. I love I love playing the devil's advocate with myself. I have my beliefs, but then I also tend to surround myself with people that have different beliefs because then it just kind of like things balance and check out and I'm able to have empathy and understanding for other perspectives. So I like I don't necessarily disagree with everything the pro-life movement says. Like you know, is the fetus a child? Like, according to science, no. You know, I, I'm totally on, like, no. Like, according to science, no. But, you know, does this fetus have a soul? You know, and it's like, that's tricky because there's no way to prove that. Like, there's no way mm-hmm. for us to know if this fetus has a soul. You know, is it really murder? I don't know. Some people say, yes, it's murder. How horrible. Other people say, yes, it's murder, but sorry, it's a fact of life. Get over it. <laughs> and then other people say, no, it's not murder. And it's like, it's really hard to know what it is, you know, but so then there's this other, there's these two camps that I sp- see the spiritual community going into. There's the camp of, you know, from what we know, we believe that it's a soul and therefore it's murder. We can't terminate, you know, God's child or whatever. And then I also see kind of like the progressive spiritual camp, which is, you know, maybe the fetus has a soul, but like if the fetus incarnated into a, or if the soul incarnated into a fetus is going to be aborted, the soul chose that experience, you know? And then I guess like if you were to, yeah, like if you were to kind of take like a Christian mindset, it could be like, well, the feet, the soul chose that experience and now this soul Mm -hmm. gets to go be with God, you know, they get to basically bypass this shithole called earth, you know, and go be with God, <laughs> which I'm like, Hey, that don't sound half bad. Um, or if you believe in like, you know, reincarnation, like the soul chose that experience and there's some kind of growth or reason they chose that. And then they're just going to get recycled back into the universe and, and reincarnate back again and come as a different person, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's just so much like different ideas and philosophies out there. And I do like kind of hearing different perspectives and sort of entertaining different things. Um, I just, me personally, I just don't think that we're going to know, like we can't know really what it is. Like we're getting into really supernatural stuff and you know, that's why at the end of the day, I'm like, Hey, you know what? I'm going to trust women out there to make the best decision with the information that they have at, every, yes. at any given moment. And one other thing I wanted to say, kind of getting, getting into spirituality, I have a friend that's pro-life and, and he, um, he and I talk a little bit about this sometimes, but it's obviously a very emotionally charging subject for both of us. And I'm going to try to briefly articulate his perspective. Um, but he had shared something with me about like, the fact that we're alive here right now makes us unqualified to like determine or, or make the choice of another life is allowed to come or not. It's kind of almost like, and I kind of get where he's coming from this. This is almost like if you imagine like a person living in a house, right? 
and then they look out their window and they see like homeless people out there and then they're like judging all those homeless people and like deciding for those homeless people if they deserve a house or not you know so that's kind of like his perspective like if you're already in the house you're not you don't really get to choose like you don't really get to like make that assumption or that choice for other people so like I kind of get that like but again it's like there's I think that there can be bits of truth in all of this and I I don't I think most of the people that I have conversation with, like they're trying to find truth. You know, they're trying to find what's true. They're trying to do what they believe is right. I don't think me like <laughs> I try to find hope in the world, and I I believe and trust that most people are trying to do the best they can. The most people are actively trying to be good. I want to believe that, and that's what I tell myself. Mm. Yeah. So what did you learn about the origins of abortion? Because I know that you've talked a little bit about that, and I had no idea about any of this because you're just like the queen of digging up juicy history <laughs> facts. <laughs> well, so I had I had to look a little bit into this because I remember I read this or heard this somewhere years ago, and so I had to kind of go back a little bit and do some research. And this is about the history of how abortion wasn't even like a political issue until kind of recently. Um, so I have some notes here and please forgive me. I'm going to be like reading off of my notes. So I'm, I'm going to try to not sound scripted, but I might sound scripted at times. And uh, I will, of course, link these sources in the show notes. So as I was saying, abortion was not always a political issue. And actually, historically, evangelical Christians and Catholics have mainly stayed away from politics. It was just like you went to church on Sunday, you did your thing, and you just tried to stay out of politics and all of that stuff because it didn't, you know, I guess it just, they just believed it didn't really affect them that much. However, there was this far right religious movement of the Republican Party that was trying to find more ways to gain power. And they were testing out all these different issues, trying to get religious people riled up and get them involved in politics. But they weren't able to, like, find anything that was, like, getting religious people riled up and, like, getting them to the polls. So there was this pastor. I think he was a pastor. He, his name was Paul Weyrich. And he was a religious conservative political activist and co-founder of the Heritage Foundation. And he was one of these people that was trying to start this religious right movement. So initially, I, I, I just learned this recently, initially the topic of abortion was not even on his radar for trying to like get the religious people voting. It was actually the topic of racial segregation. So in May of 1969, there was a group of African-American parents in Holmes County, Mississippi, and they were suing the Treasury Department to prevent these three new white-only schools. They were private academies, and they were trying to secure full tax-exempt status, arguing that their discriminatory policies prevented them from, or, or the African-American people were arguing, that the discriminatory policies prevented them from being considered charitable institutions. So, because, like, you know, here in America, like, churches and, like, schools, like, a lot of them have tax-exempt um, statuses with the government. So, they were being sued by this group of African-American parents. 
So these schools, these like white only private schools have been founded in the mid 1960s in response to the desegregation of public schools that had happened since uh, Brown v. Board of Education decision that was in 1954. That's when they like desegregated all the schools. So in 1969, the first year of desegregation, the number of white students that were enrolled in public schools in Holmes County, Mississippi, it dropped from 771 all the way down to 28. So these white parents were like hella fucking pissed and were like pulling out their students from the public schools in droves because, you know, they didn't want their white children going to school with black children. And then the year after that, the number fell all the way to zero. So you got these white folks out here starting their private schools and they're trying to get tax-exempt status and get all the privileges that schools have. So these African-American parents, rightfully so, they were suing. So in the case of Green versus Kennedy, which was decided in January of 1970, the plaintiffs won a preliminary injunction which denied the segregation academics tax-exempt states until the government could could conduct a review and solidify its position on these schools. Later that year, President uh, Richard Nixon ordered the Internal Revenue Service, so the IRS, to enact a new policy denying this tax exemption to all the segregated schools in the United States, rightfully so. Under the provisions of Title VI of the Civil Rights Act, which forbids racial segregation and discrimination, discriminatory schools were not, by definition, charitable educational organizations, and therefore they had no claims to be tax-exempt status. And also, on top of that, any donations made to these organizations would no longer qualify as well for the tax-deductible contributions. So... Fast forwarding a little bit to 1971, the United States District Court of the District of Columbia issued its ruling in the case, which had now become Green versus Conley, because Conley was now like the new Secretary of Treasury instead of Kennedy. The decision upheld the new IRS policy and stated, under the Internal Revenue Code, properly construed racially discriminatory private schools are not entitled to the federal tax exemption provided for charitable educational institutions and persons making gifts to such schools are not entitled to the deductions provided in cases of gifts to charitable educational con- or institutions. So anyway, that's our backstory. Now we're going to come back to this Mr. Paul Weyrich. So for nearly two decades, Weyrich had been, you know, again, he's part of this whole like movement that's trying to get like a right religious or a far right religious movement going in the Republican Party. So he'd been trying for two decades to find an issue to get like religious people all riled up. And he'd been trying all these different issues like he'd been talking about pornography and like how they couldn't pray in school and the proposed Equal Rights Amendment. And he'd even like tried abortion a few times and it just wasn't enough to get religious just people fired up. So he claimed that he had been trying for years to get people interested in these issues and had failed. So what happened was the IRS started sending out these questionnaires to church-related schools in the United States that had the tax exemption status to make sure that they were not engaged in segregation. There was this one school called Bob Jones University that responded saying that they did not admit African-Americans and that racial segregation was mandatory in the Bible. So, yeah. So Jerry Falwell, he's a pastor, and this Paul Weyrich, they quickly decided to shift the grounds of the debate. 
And they started framing this whole thing as an opposition or they framed their op- they framed their opposition in terms of religious freedom rather than the defense of racial segregation. So they're now getting like all up in arms about like, oh, we're having our religious freedom taken away because the government's trying to take away our tax exempt status from these private church schools when really it was because they were like engaging in racial segregation. So they're trying to like harness the whole debate and like spin it a certain way. For decades, evangelical leaders had boasted that because of their educational institutions accepting no federal money, except, of course, them not paying taxes, the government could not tell them how to run their shops, whom to hire or not, and who they could admit or reject from the schools. The Civil Rights Act, however, changed that calculus. So Bob Jones University attempted to placate the IRS in this whole review by bringing in a few black people, but they treated them horribly. They like kept them segregated from the white student population. They wouldn't allow them to mingle with them. They wouldn't allow them to date their white classmates. And after years of warning, the IRS finally revoked the tax exempt status of Bob Jones University. And that was like the last straw for the evangelical Christians. They like lost their shit over this. So Paul Weyrich saw this as the beginning of a conservative political movement, which is why several years into President Jimmy Carter's term, he and other leaders of the religious right blamed the Democratic president for the IRS actions against segregated schools. It had worked to rally their leaders, but they needed a different issue if they wanted to continue mobilizing the evangelical voters on a larger scale. Then we bring in Roe v. Wade, which had, you know, recently been pa- or was passed in 1973. So by the late 1970s, after Roe v. Wade was passed, many Americans, not just Roman Catholics, but were starting to feel a little bit uneasy about the spike in abortions. The 1978 Senate races demonstrated to Paul Weyrich and others that abortion might motivate conservatives where it hadn't in the past because they've already got all these conservatives' attention now with, oh my gosh, the government's taking away our tax-exempt status, wah, wah, wah. So that year in Minnesota, pro-life Republicans started running for office and captured both Senate seats in Minnesota as well as the governor's mansion. In Iowa, Senator Dick Clark, the Republic or the Democrat incumbent, was thought to be a shoe in. Every poll had him leading um, in the election, showed him ahead by 10 percent points. But on the final weekend of the campaign, pro-life activists Primar- or primarily the uh, oh my gosh primarily the Roman Catholics crowded church parking lots as they did in Minnesota and on election day Clark lost to his Republican pro-life challenger in the 1978 election a representative or represented a formative step toward galvanizing everyday evangelical voters Weyrich farewell and leaders of the emerging religious right enlisted an unlikely ally in their quest to advance abortion as a political issue. Over the next several months, they crafted a national tour visiting churches and sharing films and propaganda about abortion to rally the new religious right movement within the Republican Party. So there is the story of how abortion became a political issue and how all the religious people who in the past didn't really give a shit about politics basically got brainwashed (laughs) into becoming like how our parents were where I don't know if you remember but like mom and dad used to say over and over like we only vote for the candidate that's pro-life like they wouldn't even Mm -hmm. look at the candidates other qualifications like their history like what they were what kind of laws that they that they were promoting like you literally only voted on the topic of abortion so 
Yeah. The trend that I see with this is how the media has influenced radical political beliefs because Mm -hmm. people have been performing abortions since the beginning of time. Right. And it, whether it, you know, started with people drinking different types of herbs and, you know, different things to induce an abortion. And then we start, you know, moving through history where we have more like, uh, medical advancements where we're able to medically terminate a pregnancy. And it's interesting how, like, even obviously media has been around like for technically forever. (laughs) Um, but definitely more so like in America, you see that trend coming up, especially with like in, you know, the 1900s. Um, and, but you don't really start to see these such um, political division until around this area, this area of time in like the 1970s or after that, how, how you stated Roe v. Wade was already passed. Like that was mm-hmm. already dealt with. And I'm sure like even for myself before I knew about this, I thought that Roe v. Wade was this like huge deal. And like with this case, like all the religious people were like, furious and it would have been something similar to like what we're experiencing right now with the Supreme Court. But that was actually not really the case. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there were tons of people that were like invested into it and interested in it or had, um, like intense beliefs about it, whether they agreed with, um, legalizing abortion or not. Um, but it just goes to show like how even like with segregation and abortion and pretty much every other topic is just directly influenced by religious people with mostly within the Republican party in order to capitalize off of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, you know, like as I found when I was doing research, it was like you had these like, evangelical pastors and people that were like intentionally trying to get power like they wanted power and they're like I want power so I have to get all of these people influenced and like basically make them angry and riled up about something and then I can come in with my solutions and harness all the power of this energy of all these religious people and use it for my own personal gain you know, Mm -hmm. because, you know, when you look at, when you look at the types of policies that are in place, like even now, like it boggles my mind when you have religious people, right. That vote Republican because they're pro-life, but there is nothing pro-life about any of the other laws that Republicans pass. There is nothing pro-life about not like, like barring people from having medical care. There is nothing Mm pro-life about you know, trying to block families and and single mothers from being able to have access to food and medical insurance and like social support. Like there's just like all the laws that we, that that are passed by Republicans that just like weaken and take away the social safety net for people. There's nothing pro-life about it. And if people actually woke up and and looked at it, they would vote like for more progressive like politicians but they've been influenced and brainwashed by this religious right movement within the, the Republican Party. So back to when I mentioned capitalism a little bit ago, I, it, the, like you and I are just going to keep coming back to this conversation of how much we hate capitalism. <laughs> yeah. And 
you know, I can, like how we say, like, we like to look at both sides of the story. I can understand why people would find capitalism as, like, a smart, economical way to run a country in the sense that, like, if you work hard, then you get paid for it, which Supposedly. is not really the case. <laughs> Supposedly, yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, the ideology of capitalism. I can understand, but in practice, just like how people shit on communism, in practice, it never worked. Looked at Russia. Well, capitalism, in practice, it never worked. Look at America. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you can look at it both sides. Um, but it just shows, like, you know, how... Republicans and the the religious groups have capitalized off of abortion so that they don't have to, you know, they get the tax exams and um, they don't, they just get to keep their status and gain money off of, like, we know people, I remember knowing people when we were younger where they worked for like pro-life movements and that yes. was like their full-time oh job gosh. and they would like yeah. get paid and like raise their families off of this income of like starting like pro-life rallies like people are people are capitalizing off of this shit and it just goes to show how much capitalism is rooted in completely diminishing and dehumanizing women people of color minorities poor people and the list just goes on And with the issue that we have with the Supreme Court overruling Roe v. Wade is that they're continuously doing it. It's an issue that we still face now. And growing up and learning the bullshit excuse of American history, which is just a fucking joke, it makes it seem like in the the history of America, we've had all of these trials and these errors and all of these victories and these wars and how strong America is, but we're all better now because now we're smart and we have like great technology and we have all of these great things coming for our country. But all of these trends that we see in history and we're like, oh my God, wow, like that was such a different time. That was so bad, like slavery um, and how women don't have any rights and all that. Like that is still happening right now. Like slavery is still happening like as we speak right now. Mm-hmm. And women losing their rights and not having rights over their voice, over their body. Like that is happening right now. Yeah. It just looks a little bit differently. Exactly. So people are either brainwashed or they're like willingly not or choosing to not look at it. Like we have our prison system, which is the modern day slavery, you know, it's it's mm-hmm. just it looks slightly different, but it's still the same thing. Mm-hmm. And just in general, like the whole idea of working for a company where you only make you know, minimum wage, depending on where you live, like average, right. probably like $14 an hour, but your boss is making like, oh, your boss owns like several houses and like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like the higher up or drives like different cars to work every day. That is the example of slavery because, and people say, no, cause you still get to take home a paycheck. Well, the slaves, like when you, when we look at like, like black slaves on plantations, Well, they had bread to take home at the end of the day and they were fed so that, and they were able to bathe, like they were given the bare minimum so that they could survive so that they can come back to work the next day so they don't fucking die. It's the same shit. It's like, here's, okay, I want you to work full time. I want you to 
disregard your mental health, your family life, like everything that's important to you so that you can come and make me rich. And in return, I will give you a paycheck just enough for you to get into debt in order for you to house yourself and feed yourself. And you're only able to afford like cheap processed groceries and food that they make cheap in order to fill our bodies with cancer and nasty shit, which is a whole other conversation. (laughs) Yeah. But that is slavery. Like that is exactly what they were doing that hundreds of years ago. Like, yeah, it just looks different. <laughs> hm. Well, and capital capitalism is just connected to like everything. Like, I feel like everything. from all like all of the activists that I follow on social media, whether they're anti-racist activists, whether they are like um, feminists, you know, they're like people in the feminist movements. Um, you know, when you have people that are fighting against poverty, you know, all the different like things that were f- like all the bad things we're fighting against in this country, like at the root of it is capitalism. Like capitalism is like one of the like threads that goes through each of these problems and like stitches it all together. Like it's everything's connected Mm -hmm. and intertwined here. What was your experience like growing up? Because again, we're on different sides of the family, different generations. (laughs) Like what, like how was abortion presented to you when you were a kid? I think it was honestly probably very similar to yours. Um, I have memories of us going to uh, pray the rosary. (laughs) This is so embarrassing. Uh, We would go pray the rosary. Like it was like a church organization or, you know, we would all get together on like a Saturday and we would meet at the local Plant Parenthood, which interestingly enough, the same Plant Parenthood that I'm talking about is where I received my first birth control, guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, you're gonna have to I share remember, that story. That's where I went because because I went back to Illinois for two years, and I when I was 17, and I was like, man, I need to be taken care of. And Illinois, thank God, I don't know about right now, but at that point, Illinois had amazing like funding and uh rights still, for especially i was it still does illinois w- is like one of the best states i think in the country for yeah. like women's reproductive rights well so i was not to like get into it but <laughs> so no, i, I want you to i want you to get no i want you to get okay. into it because yeah no okay. please share because i want to hear about your experiences and i know the story about like when you went to get birth control and i want you to share it because it was mind-boggling So I, when I was 17 years old, like my mom never really raised me like to use contraception because to her, it's like, well, just don't have sex. (laughs) Okay. Well, mom, it doesn't work like that. (laughs) (laughs) So when I was 17, I was like, well, I need to get on birth control because I definitely don't want to have a child. Um, and I was like, I don't know where to go. So I like called Planned Parenthood. Like I, I don't know. Like I didn't want my mom. I was selling my mom's insurance. Like I didn't want her to like see anything. Not that she would like react super badly. I just didn't know what, I just didn't want to confront that with her. Um, and so I reached out to Planned Parenthood and like scheduled an appointment and I didn't know how much it was going to cost. So I just like had a few hundred dollars in my account just to like in case. And this um, was, and this I is when you're in Illinois, right? Yes, this is okay. uh, 2018 or 2019. So I was 17 years old. Okay. Um, so I scheduled an appointment and I went in and they approved me. Like I filled out this paperwork of like how much money I made, which was like probably like 
$9 an hour <laughs> and like how much, just different things about, about me and my family. Um, and they told me when I went to the office that they, that I was like approved to be part of like this, like I was approved to basically get like a hundred percent like free funding. So like everything would be free for, I think it was like a year or two years until I like renewed it. So my first appointment that I was there, they prescribed me like the birth control pill. They gave me, um, a pregnancy test, STD test, um, and everything about it was like a great experience because like your doctors, like they're just like an extra level of like caring. And they ask like a lot of questions. I was like, you know, I feel really comfortable with you. And I felt like I could share like about my sexual experiences and different like experiences that I've had with my family, um, around sex and all of that. So that was a really great experience. And then I did that for a while um, until I decided to get my IUD. And when I got my IUD, I, and okay, if anyone knows, getting your IUD is insanely painful. Oh, Margaret had yeah. got her, I, you got your IUD before me. And I remember you warning me how painful it was. And oh. I was like, no, nah, I got this. Mm-mm. That shit. <laughs> Like, I feel like there are no words to explain. Like, like I, like if you're a man, then like think of someone <laughs> getting your penis, <laughs> like shoving it inside out. I don't know. No. Oh my like, God. Taking, oh. Like if someone took like a fork <laughs> and shoved it, into, <laughs> and shoved it into your penis and started like messing up in there and like sticking things up in there with no medication margaret they told me to take an ibuprofen before i came, yeah like an no, hour before dude same when i call oh my god when i called my doctor to have my <laughs> iud put in i was like hey like do i need to take the day off of work like how does how is this all going to go down and they're like oh no no just we'll give you an early appointment and you can just go straight to work afterwards <laughs> and i showed up for my appointment and that was like the most excruciating pain Oh, like like my body's clenched up right now. It just like as we're talking Ugh, about it, yeah. it was so horrible. And I like I couldn't get up. I was in so much pain. It took me about half an hour just to like be able to after the the procedure to even be able to get off the table and like out yeah. of the office. And then on the way to my car, I almost passed out. Like everything started spinning. I had to like grab onto a tree to like not <laughs> fall. <laughs> and I got in my car and I was like I cannot even drive right now like let alone go to work I had to call Casey and like wait in my car for like 45 minutes till he could get to me and like pick me up and take me home and I had to I I was in bed for the rest of the day in so much pain oh yeah that's it it feels like yeah it's horrible it's like imagine getting surgery like while you're awake yeah, but so men, bad. but they can't create birth control for men because, you know, there's some side effects and we can't allow men to feel oh. any side effects. <laughs> I gained like 50 pounds on the birth control pill and I was like a psycho. Like, come on, guys. <laughs> I know. Um, but yeah, like I had a similar experience, like being on the table and then like doing the procedure. Like oh. I'm not one of those people where I hate crying in front of people. Like, I think it's just like part of being a big family. Like like don't let the tear slip. <laughs> right. And so, I, but I just, I just started 
bawling my eyes out and i'm like like silently cursing myself because i'm like why are you crying this is so embarrassing but like it hurts so bad and so i get into my car like once the procedure's done like on it like i didn't take forever like i put my clothes on i ran out of that place (laughs) it's like i don't want to see you guys So I went to my car and I'm like crying and I'm like, I feel like I can't drive right now, but I just want to go home and I want to get my pajamas. I want to eat chocolate. I want to go to bed. So as I'm driving out of the, like the way that they have to structure Planned Parenthood is like a fucking prison because these pro-lifers are crazy. So they have to like barricade the fucking building and they have these huge like designing like huge bushes to like cover up the building so that they can't see like who's going in and out. They have a fucking security guard like that comes to your car and walks you into the building so that you don't get attacked. Yeah. And so as I'm driving out of like the parking lot, there's all the pro-lifers and I like there, I have no tinted windows and I'm bawling my eyes out and they're screaming at me and they're like, I hope you feel guilty for having an abortion. <laughs> oh my God. I just, I didn't know what to do. I just like drove really fast away because I'm like, you crazy people. I didn't have an abortion. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know what? And like the crazy thing is too, like, you know, I know the abortion clinic you're talking about because when I was in high school, like I, I went out there with my friends and prayed the rosary and protested and held up those Mm -hmm. gruesome signs of like botched baby parts and stuff as well. Cause that's like (laughs) what you do when you're a Catholic teenager. So that's like how Catholic teenagers spend their Saturday afternoons. So (laughs) I know which one you're talking about. And I remember being like a pro-life teenager and like the story that you're told is that this building, like the devil lives in there and that like it's filled with these Mm. evil, evil doctors that hate babies. And it's like their mission in life to slaughter all these babies because they hate them. Mm. And you're told that like most of the procedures that happen in this building are abortions like you don't find out like I didn't find out till much later I think it's like less than 5% of the services that that planned parenthood offers to women are abortions like the mm-hmm. rest is like just like your basic care Shit, that like you, you need. and I yeah. yeah pap smear you know like infections pregnancy tests pregnancy STD tests right you know what I actually went to planned parenthood when I was pregnant with Brayden because I needed to have my pregnancy confirmed and just make sure everything was okay because I didn't have any health insurance at the time. And that was my first place when I found out I was pregnant. I just wanted to go somewhere, get checked out, like make sure, like get, you know, get the pregnancy confirmed. And so I went to plan parenthood because I knew that they would be able to work with me financially. And it was a great experience. Like I mm-hmm. went in there, I was taken care of. Not once did anyone even mention the word abortion to me? Like that was never even like discussed. Mm -hmm. It was never brought up. It was never asked, you know, there was no pressure and that's not what I was taught. I was taught it was like this, this building with these like evil demonic baby killers in there. Yeah. They're like possessed by Satan and they walk around and they have like, they just talk like there's Satan their mouth they have horns on their head dude there's like weird (laughs) shit we were told when you were kids and when you're a kid you just fucking believe it all yeah and it could not be further from the truth 
and Planned Parenthood from like the outside. It looks kind of creepy because they have to like barricade the fucking building and like all the windows are like very high up and like dark and it's yeah because you were fucking crazy psychos standing outside their building screaming at them. Yeah. <laughs> did you and hear harassing their clients? Did you hear about the priest that dad was friends with at one point and he got arrested because he drove his car like right through the front windows of a Planned Parenthood <gasps> clinic? Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know who this priest is. I'm sure someone could Google it and find out. I don't remember the priest, like where it was, who it was, but like literally this priest was like held up by, as like a celebrity, like within the pro-life community, like everyone fucking loved him. Like, well, look at him. He's such a crusader for the pro-life movement. He drove his car into the clinic and he went to jail. He's such a martyr. You know, (laughs) it's like, oh my God. That's crazy. But yeah, I have similar experiences as well, like praying the rosary around the building. And also I want to give a shout out if you live in Illinois, like if by any chance you do live in Illinois around this area and you want to check out Planned Parenthood, the one that we're talking about is, I think, I believe it's in Aurora, Illinois or Naperville, Illinois. It's Aurora. Yes. Um, They're fantastic. And at least for me, uh, working like a minimum wage job, uh, a minor. I was 17 years old. I got everything for free, um, including an IUD procedure when I was 17 years old. Um, they were amazing. So if you ever, if you're in that area and you want a safe place to get anything regarding reproductive health care, then I definitely recommend them. Yeah. Sponsor us, Planned Parenthood. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Well, um, this is just to kind of like let everyone know this is our part one episode of Roe v. Wade. So if you got all the way to the end of the episode here and you like what we're talking about, please join us next week. We are going to be coming back with our cousin Jessica, who's been doing a lot of very interesting research into the history of abortion. Like, and by history, I mean like not like in the last 50 years, like what we've been talking about, but like history, history, like. Yeah, some very interesting stuff. We're going to be talking about kind of like the ethics around it and and digging a little bit more into that. So and just human survival and all that, like all that, all that interesting stuff. So, yeah, Agnes, anything else you wanted to kind of speak on briefly before we get wrapped up? Um, Only what you're grateful for today. Oh, (laughs) that's all I have to say. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. All right. And I, yeah, I have to shift gears, but. Yeah, this was, I'm glad we had this conversation. I did want to just shout out again and just sort of state publicly, like, this is a hard subject. It took Agnes and I weeks of deliberating to be able to, like, actually sit down and have this conversation. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's tough. Like, I, I actually really, this is really vulnerable for me, actually, to be having this conversation publicly because... I think that abortion is like the one topic that I just really, really struggle to like be like, I am 100% on this side, you know, like there's so many things out there like white supremacy and racism and capitalism and all these issues that are happening in the world where I am like, I am 100% adamantly anti-racism and I'm reading all the books and I'm trying to do all the work and, you know, but then when it comes to abortion, it's so hard for me to be like, I am 100% pro-choice all the way. Cause like 
there's just so much nuance there and there's so mm-hmm. many different perspectives and I'm like I'm trying to like understand all of them and so I just I think it's like a like a spectrum right like it's like this sort of sliding scale and I feel like I'm definitely on the pro-choice side but you know I probably sit closer to the pro-life side of the spectrum than other people that are pro-choice you know, and I'm just, I'm just trying to understand and be, and be sensitive to that as well. So it's a tough top. It's a tough conversation. And just because you believe something doesn't mean that it's true. I think that's something that everyone yeah. needs to acknowledge. Absolutely. And I think too, with these conversations, like it's really, really important to come to the table with your ears open and your heart open and wanting to understand mm-hmm. where the other person's coming from. Cause it's such an emotionally charged topic as, as we, you know, stated at the very beginning of this episode. And it's Mm -hmm. so easy for us to be totally in our emotions, which are absolutely valid and we need to feel our emotions, but we also have to learn how to sit and hold space and listen and empathize and try to understand as well. Absolutely. So, all right. Gratitude, Agnes, what are you grateful for today? I asked you first. You have to go first. You're going to make me do it. (laughs) You're going to make me do it. Oh, my gosh. What am I grateful for today? Um, This is a tough one. I feel like it was a little bit of a hard day for me. I got to find something. Um, Well, I'm great. I am. Okay. I'm grateful that Casey was off work today. And I was mostly off work. I had like a couple Zoom lessons, but I was mostly off work today. And Brayden was here with us. So we were all just packed in here on the fifth wheel today. I mean, maybe that part I'm not grateful for, that all three of us humans and two dogs were packed into (laughs) our fifth wheel all day today because it's like 95 degrees outside and 75% humidity. But I am grateful that we all got to spend some time together and we were all here at home. So I'm grateful for that. Oh, I love that. How about you, Agnes? What are you grateful for today? Well, I think I'm grateful for a few things. The first thing, um, work lately has been awesome because I've been learning so much about paralegal work and taking on more responsibility at work and just feeling like really excited for my career and school and that feeling of like working hard and like actually making a difference in other people's lives and helping out clients, um, especially working in criminal defense, like you actually feel like you help people. Yeah. Um, so that's, I'm grateful for that. And then also um, Patrick cooked dinner tonight and lately I've been craving rice. So he made like a huge pot of rice and tofu and I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Um, yeah, so we ate that and we watched Stranger Things season four. I can't wait. Like, well, I, we're like halfway through it right now, but I can't wait to see how it ends. I don't want it to end, but I'm excited to finish it. So, we believe in the power of taking even one minute a day to breathe and find gratitude in the little things. Wherever you are, if you are able, close your eyes, take a deep breath in and out. And reflect on something that you are grateful for today. We are so honored that you could join us in this discussion today, and we hope you have a beautiful week.
If you enjoyed today's Unrefined Woman podcast episode, please be sure to like, subscribe, and share. To check out other episodes, please visit our website at unrefinedwoman.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. To stay in the loop and receive access to additional content, please follow us on TikTok, username unrefinedwoman, and on Instagram at unrefinedwomanpodcasts. Special thanks to Walter Birdsong for the album cover, Margaret Rainey for our podcast music, Andrew Cioni for our gratitude prompt music, and Sean Butcher for editing and production. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week. I lost my train of thought. <laughs> You're like staring at the ceiling. <laughs> I was staring at my at the wall. <laughs> um, oh yeah. Okay. I'm gonna snap my fingers because okay. I like that better. Okay. <laughs>